But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. Be then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Let us bow our hearts and heads in silent preparation for worship. Let us pray. We pray this morning, God above, by your strength and your mercy and your grace upon us. Lord, we pray and praise in you in particular, God, for being our Lord and Master, for being the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to blessed three in one. And each of you, Lord, God above. Each of you involved in our salvation, where the Father has arranged from eternity past, the Son has accomplished in time and space, the Holy Spirit has applied in the here and now, Lord, that redemption wrought for us. We are grateful for that, God. We are humbled in your sight because of that, Lord. And we pray, God, we pray for our sins in light of our salvation, uh, to forsake them, to deny them, Lord, to repent of them, yes, daily. Not to be discouraged, God, but to know that your gospel and your good news is greater than our sins, Lord. But we will sin, Lord. We will struggle with various and sundry sins, times in our lives, Lord. Yes, Lord, even daily. But the gospel promises are new every morning, God. And so may we be encouraged. May we be comforted by the Holy Spirit and the gospel promises of your love for us. Lord Jesus, we pray for our work situation and our economy, in particular, Lord, for those Christians who are struggling in our weak economy and being uh, laid off from COVID last year and the like, God. And even if they are employed, Lord, we are seeing uh, the rise of housing, the rise of medical costs, Lord, cost of living that have gone up since my lifetime as a child in the 80s, Lord, where it now takes 52 weeks, when it took 32 weeks, Lord, uh, to cover the same expenses. So, God, with the jobs, maybe even their Lord, they're not paying enough, God. It makes it harder. It makes it harder for Christians in particular, Lord. So be with them, we pray, and ask God that they would get gainful employment, Lord, better employment. Pray for our work situation here at Providence, God. We're, th- again, thankful that we are gainfully employed on the whole. And pray, God, for those who are struggling with better uh, employment, better pay, better hours, better work conditions, Lord, that they would indeed be better and that they would have the wherewithal to make them better if need be or uh, to change jobs. Give us wisdom, Lord, on our work situation, whatever it may be as an employer or an employee. And God, that we would do the right thing, that we would work faithfully every day, Lord, even if it's a job that could be hard to to, uh, take psychologically, Lord. We get tired, certainly, uh, as humans, but even as fallen sinners, Lord, it makes it even harder at times to deal with our job and work situation. We pray, God, that we would persevere. Persevere with an eye upon you, Lord, that we know that you are with us. We pray, God, for the churches, our church and other churches, to save up our funds, Lord, to help those. And we fear in the future, Lord, if there is a worsening of the economy, and it seems it could be, will be, uh, that we will be prepared for that, God. We ask, Lord, that you'd be with us as a church and as a Presbyterian, as a denomination with respect to Christian education. That we would continue to take it seriously, God, not as an end in itself, but as a means to glorify you, Lord, to inform people of the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the law written in the word of God, and to instruct these, Lord, with the opportunities that we have. To teach ourselves as adults, Lord, to ever be pupils, students, uh, Lord, disciples of the followers of Jesus Christ, uh, certainly on our own, God, but we know that we are weak and we need help. And so the church is here given to us by uh, your word, Lord, and the gospel of Jesus Christ to assist us, to instruct us, to educate us, to encourage us, God. And we pray, God, not only for ourselves, but for our denomination, Lord, that uh, the General Assembly and the committee that we have and Presbyterians, Lord, would take Christian education seriously uh, and realize, Lord, of course, it takes more than just the weekend. So we pray, God, for the Christians uh, who need to instruct their children, God, in, in this life, things of this world, be good citizens, God, that you would help them, Lord, find a Christian school. And if not a Christian school, Lord, give them the wherewithal and the means and support from the churches, both for Christian school and homeschooling, God, if possible. 
and that they would be protected from the evil one and from evil society and the bad influence upon us, God, that it's everywhere and it's growing. So, Lord, uh, may we have our eyes open to that fact, and as a church, as Presbyterians, as individual churches, Lord, to do what we can to protect uh, the children of the covenant, God, to protect ourselves, to further encourage and instruct one another in holiness and godliness and your righteous law and, above all, your gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. We pray for our health situation, God, that we would take care of ourselves, Lord, do what we can. Uh, thankful, Lord, that there has been an easing in some respects with respect to COVID, God, and that would be dealt with quickly and uh, with much truth, much confusion, God. It's been politicized so quickly, so fast, Lord, and so thoroughly, it seems. May we have light at the end of the tunnel and quickly, God, that we would persevere and that we would stay healthy, Lord, protect those who are high risk again, that they would have access to N95. We're thankful, Lord, that we finally have ability to, uh, to buy such things online as we used to before, that that will continue, God. Those who, again, are high risk will get access to what they need to protect them from not only COVID, but other ailments and sicknesses, God. We don't want them getting any of these things, Lord. And for all of, for those of us who have chronic ailments that we have struggled with, uh, Lord, that we would persevere, that we would get the help that we need, God. We would continue, all of us, Lord, to exercise and diet as the best we can. Again, we're thankful, Lord, to live in a society which we have access to a lot of these things, although we wish to have more. And we can make a lot of our health decisions on our own, with our own decisions, God, with our own process. We pray, Lord, that that would continue for uh, our sakes, for the sake of the church, Lord, that's also serious about taking care of the body that is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We pray, God, that you would be with us this morning, that we would cast aside distractions, that we would focus upon you and your word, and to listen therein and grow thereby. In the name alone we pray. Let us turn to our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 23 to 25. I am digging into these verses, the meat of God's word. Let us listen attentively. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, to the word of God which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Let us pray. May we be encouraged, God. May we learn anew what many of us have been taught, that the Spirit spirit brings new life to the word of God, the word of God preached in particular. And may this truth, Lord, bear fruit more and more in our lives as we listen to the Word of God preached. In your name alone we pray. Amen. We know the truth that God saves us, that God saves sinners. We know the Spirit brings new life. We know that the new life comes from the Word. We know that it comes through the Word preached. But many, many American Christians, unfortunately, do not. You have friends who do not agree, or more accurately, I think, in my experience, probably have friends who are confused on the matter, if they have even thought about it at all. So I hope the sermon will equip us to meditate upon these truths that we may grow thereby, and also to equip you so you can help equip your brothers and sisters in the Lord who are confused on this matter, of what it means to be born again and how that's related to the Word of God and how that's related to preaching. You see all three elements here in this one long verse. Mind you, again, the verse starts there in 22. Explain it, you have been purified, and since that you have been purified in obeying the truth by the power of the Spirit, to love one another. That's 
the central verb there. That's the command for us to love one another fervently with a pure heart. Then he describes again the condition by which we are doing this. Fact, having been born again. Now, my daughter is learning English. Got a big English test coming up in a week, apparently. And one of the things you learn in English is the difference between an active and a passive verb. What do you read here? Having been born again. Are you birthing yourself? Or is God birthing you? No, the answer to that question. This is the doctrine of regeneration. Doctrine of being born again. Of being born from above. Many of us know from John chapter 3. But it's not a New Testament doctrine only. An Old Testament fact. An Old Testament promise. An Old Testament, Old Testament doctrine as well. The sovereignty of God is assumed in the Old Testament. From that sovereignty assumed, it would make sense that this sovereign God must change the hearts of men and women if they are to follow him. We see this assumed sovereignty of God, the power of God, in Genesis 20. Right? Remember the dream of Abimelech? But Abimelech had not come near her, that is, Abraham's wife, and he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? And God said to him in a dream, Yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart, for I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Part of God's plan. And God is the power behind all things in providence. And this is true with respect to King Abimelech holding him. It's true with respect to everyone else. And not only withholding their sins, but bringing them new life. So I would argue that just from the light of nature of the sovereign God, light of nature tells you much about God, don't let the world tell you otherwise, although it doesn't tell you anything about being saved, it does tell you that there is a God, that he is a sovereign God, and he created all things, and is in charge of all things. And so the doctrine of regeneration that is being born again from the power of God above would make sense just from that doctrine alone. We have more than just that doctrine alone. We have Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. We read, The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. That's the doctrine of regeneration or being born again in Old Testament language. To circumcise the heart. To cut off the sin of the heart the heart of your seed or your descendants in order to or to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength as Jesus summarized elsewhere. Here in the book of the law, Deuteronomy, law, the giving of the law was given in the context of grace because they're delivered from Egypt by a power greater than themselves, brought through the desert and given the law again in that context. The law was given Here, as we see even explicitly, that God would circumcise their heart so that they would obey to love the Lord with all their heart, with all their soul, that you may live. Generation, always there in the Old Testament. The language and the figure of circumcision, to be sure, but it was there nevertheless, and for that specific purpose, that they would love God. Love in the book of the law? Yeah, it's mentioned a number of times. In fact, they're told to cling to God. Very intense, intimate word there a number of times in Deuteronomy. Ezekiel 36, 26. Ezekiel 36, 
26, we read, I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Again, regeneration or being born again. A new heart, a new spirit within you. That is all the faculties of the soul. That's what it's talking about in the Old Testament. Not a physical heart, not a fleshly heart, but a spiritual heart. I will take the heart of stone. That is a non-responsive heart. We talk about being stiff neck, right? That's the idea here of a heart of stone, non-responsive. Can't penetrate it. And giving a heart of flesh that is a responsive heart that listens and loves the Lord. Again, the Old Testament talks about something happening to the soul, something new, a change. All that regeneration. To be born again, to be born of God. New Testament, of course, mentions that. John 1.13, we read, They who were born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Is that word again, born. Don't birth yourself. That's taught in America. Implicitly, if not explicitly, unfortunately. John 3 is another passage. We know the John 3 passage, Nicodemus, we'll talk about it later. Titus 3.5 is another passage. So we have three other passages talking about being born again, or the language of birthing. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration, renewing of the Holy Spirit. Titus 3.5. 1 Peter 1.3, being born again in the New Testament language, 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercies has begotten us again to a living hope. The Old Testament speaks of circumcision, it speaks of a new heart, the New Testament speaks of being born, and born again or begotten, regenerated. And of course, the passage we're reading this morning. Having been born again. Not of a corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the word of God abides forever. These verses describe a new birth as something being done to us, right? Every one of those verses I referenced here from John, Titus, and 1 Peter. Regeneration, in particular, we know it's not a new doctrine, it's an old doctrine, it's assumed by God's sovereignty, is explicated in Deuteronomy and Ezekiel, and again, Further unpacked in the New Testament, regeneration has a couple of names. Regeneration, or to be generated again. The fancy way of saying born again or born from above, which we get out of John 3, right? I, I like, I mean, being born again itself should be sufficient. Tell you that it's not about you, it's what God is doing to you. You don't birth yourself. The metaphor doesn't make sense if you birth yourself. Let alone the verbs being used, which are passive verbs. God is birthing you. You are being born again or having been born again. What we have, unfortunately, are people who don't take the metaphor at face value. It's called decisional regeneration, where you make a decision. Your supposed free will says yes to Jesus and no to sin independent of the act of the Holy Spirit, because you will say yes to Jesus and no to sin if you're born again. We'll talk about that. But you can't do it without the power of the Holy Spirit. These people teach, again, often implicitly, but even explicitly at times. I heard one famous, globally famous 
preacher say, God does 99%, you've got to do the one. Make that decision. Wow. What kind of a gospel message is that? Not the one I'm reading here in 1 Peter. Having been born again, something done to you, decisional regeneration is dangerous and false. We make a decision for Jesus independent of, that's what's the important part, right, of the work of the Spirit in you. Is a dangerous doctrine indeed. Now the nature of being born again or regeneration is of the making of the soul positively responsive to God. It's a short little way of saying it. That you become alive in your heart. You become positively responsive, not just responsive. There are, again, others who teach, sure, the Spirit comes along and frees your will, but now your will is completely neutral and has to decide for or against Jesus. See how cleverly worded that is? So they'll say, they call it prevenient grace. They'll say, hey, yeah, you've got to have the Spirit. So they sound more like us. But at the end of the day, it's still what? 1% you having to make that decision somehow or some way for or against Jesus. But if you're born again, if you're born, let's stick with the metaphor. If you're born, are you going to sit there and go, hmm, do I want to breathe or not? It's a decision in one sense. That is, if someone comes along and you know, tells the baby to stop breathing, the baby's like, I don't think so, right? I'm going to breathe. But it's reflexive, more, more rudimentary that way. It's reflexive. And being born again is reflexive that way. You will decide for Jesus when the Spirit touches you. That's the point. That's what it means to be born again. Not almost born again if you decide to and maybe abort yourself. Which is what the other doctrine allows for, if not teaches. So, regeneration, as we know, I'm going to get to that, is a work of God. The Holy Spirit in particular renews your soul so that you want to. He renews your water. You will want to follow Jesus. Your mind, your will, and your emotions, and your conscience are regenerated or born again or brought to a positive response to God continually. In the Bible, the soul is often described as the heart. It's a Hebraic language that uses the heart often, but not exclusively. Acts 16.14 is the famous passage, right? Acts 16.14. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us, heard the apostles preaching. That's where it begins, right? You listen to the Word of God. Sometimes you read the Word of God. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God, made money selling royalty colors. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. I remember reading that when I was 19 or 20, and I thought, wow, I never saw that passage before. Why didn't I ever see that passage before? I had read the Bible, as we'll preach next week, because a preacher came along and pointed it out to me. The preacher was probably Spurgeon or somebody. I read some of the Puritans. I was reading... Uh, the Banner of Truth. I got their magazine for a bit. I'm learning this stuff. There, one passage after another passage after another, and I was just dumbfounded. Why was? It, why didn't anybody tell me this and point these things out to me? Well, as I get ahead of myself, because the Word of God is preached to you, verse 25. Why God brings humans? One of the other American errors, besides decisional regeneration, is every man for himself. Every man his own island. Right? I can read my Bible. I don't need a preacher. I don't need a church. Stay home. Okay. You're going to miss a lot. You'd be surprised what you're going to miss. More often than not. 
Regeneration involves the opening of the heart. It's a very broad idea. The heart, again, is the soul, so it's all the faculties of the soul. One particular faculty, of course, is the mind. Acts 26, 18, to open their minds in order to turn them from darkness to light. That is the promise of the gospel. To illuminate their minds, to give them the truth. And not only to give them the truth, that they see and acknowledge the truth. That's being born again. Renewing of their wills unto righteousness. Psalm 110, 3. I've always uh, loved this verse. Psalm 110, verse 3. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. The beauty of holiness from the womb of the morning, thou hast the dew of thy youth. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power, because God's power makes them willing. Regeneration, being born again, it's obviously from the Spirit. John 3, verse 6 and following. Here we have Nicodemus sneaking in at night, one of the Pharisees. He was embarrassed about following Jesus. Asked a question about the kingdom of God. How can I get into the kingdom of God? And Jesus says what? You must be born again. What does Nicodemus say? Like a good literalist, right? I like to remind people that. It's a good literalist, right? Taking the Bible. We take the Bible literally. How can I get back to my mom? It's like, say what? It's a metaphor. But he has got some little bit of semblance of truth. How can you be born again, right? How can you be born again? And Jesus does answer that. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Humans give birth to humans. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. The spirit gives birth to Christians. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it. You can hear it last night when it was raining, right? But cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes, so is everyone who was born of the Spirit. Being born again comes from the Spirit of God, the power of God, and acted upon your soul to wake you up, to bring you spiritual response to God that says, I love Jesus, I want to follow Jesus, and I hate sin, I hate the kingdom of Satan. It's important to remember that. As I'm going uh, over uh, the shorter catechism and the children's catechism with the Stansberries and the children in particular, I went over some passages and I'm reminding them, look, you're going to move away, you're going to meet other Christians, and they're not going to believe this stuff. Children need to know this. People will think you're weird. Other Christians will think you're weird. They're going to be nice. I hope they're nice Christians. I think they're going to find nice Christians. But they're not going to believe this stuff. They probably never heard this stuff, so maybe they will believe it eventually. But the children and you adults need to know these verses and know this truth and cling to it. Because many, unfortunately, in America, Christians basically have a watered-down version of what the world teaches already, which is free will and Pelagianism, right? Christianized version. They don't like this stuff about God being in charge. Americans like being in charge. So again, the church, unfortunately, has a watered-down version of the culture. We have that going on in spades right now in many ways as well, and other issues. So, John 3, 6 is that famous passage, the one cling to, it's so clear that you were born again by the Spirit. And in fact, we read here in 1 Peter 1, since you have purified your souls, okay, we didn't say you're passive, you are doing something. And obeying the truth, amen, we're called to obey the truth, that's what one of the fruits of being born again will lead to, through the Spirit, right, through the Spirit, because of the Spirit. Without the Spirit, we would not be doing these things. So, that is being born again of an incorruptible word. What is the source of it? Verses 23 to 24. Having been born again, and of course, a nice negative, not 
of that which is incorruptible, or corruptible, but that which is incorruptible without corruption. Right? Ordinarily, the new birth is uh, given through the conscious acceptance of the truth. Companies that, adults, when they're born again, know what they're being born again of. I point this out because we believe babies can be born again. I believe babies can be born again. Because if it's a work of the Holy Spirit, John rejoiced in the womb of his mother when Jesus was nearby, right? Left for joy. Something was going on there. <clears throat> the bottle didn't leave for joy. But the child will eventually make a conscious decision and say yes to Jesus. They'll grow up. That's the difference between adulthood and childhood. Children aren't very self-reflective. It's just the nature of it. We shouldn't expect that out of them. All you're going to do is frustrate them. And so we make the distinction, because it's in the Bible as well as, from that perspective, natural revelation, of conversion and regeneration. Bring this up so we don't confuse the two. When I'm speaking of regeneration and being born again, although sometimes the word born again in the common parlance bleeds into conversion. Regeneration is an act of God. You're passive. You're almost not aware of it. It logically precedes your conversion. Conversion is your conscious acceptance and saying yes to Jesus. Because you will say yes. You must say yes. And you will say no to sin and repent. Everyone with me? So regeneration is the work of the Spirit. You are passive therein. Conversion is a fruit of regeneration. And of course, the Spirit's involved in that as well, where you are active. You are active in your responses, repentance away from sin, and faith or towards Jesus. Right? So that's an important distinction. And again, sometimes the word born again is used in Christian parlance to mean conversion. Because often it happens, especially with adults, right? To be almost simultaneous in our mind. Although the Spirit came first. You have to believe the Spirit does come first. Because you're dead in sin and trespasses. Ephesians 2. It can't be anything else but the Spirit who woke you up. And that, properly speaking, is regeneration. Because God uses the truth of the Bible for conversion. That's what we have in this text. That's why I brought this out. Because the little baby, six-month-old, not going to be doing any talking anytime soon, doesn't really doesn't understand preaching. Preaching isn't magical. Brothers and sisters, preaching is not magical. I do some hocus-pocus, and somehow the baby grows from that. That's almost like what the Roman Catholic Church teaches, except they do it with the sacraments. right? They do the hocus-pocus of baptism, and original sin is washed away from the baby. That's what they teach. Spirit of God generates, renews, cleanses the child, and eventually the child, if it grows up in God's providence, they will consciously embrace Christ and have what we call conversion. It may not be exciting. We don't teach exciting conversion. We like boring conversion stories in Presbyterian circles. We do. Remember, this conversation came up on Thursday in my study there. Yes, we want boring conversion stories. It shouldn't be, what's wrong with you? Why don't you have the biker story conversion? All you all boomers know the biker story. Older generation, myself as well, Gen X, knows the biker story conversion story. You know, I went through drugs, and I did all this stuff, and I came back to Jesus. Well, I'm glad, but do we really want to put you on a pedestal in front of the church? Think about it, right? Then people walk away, and the kids walk away thinking, this is normal? No, what should be normal is, you stayed in the church. You didn't rebel. You don't have to rebel. You embraced Jesus more and more, and your sanctification grew. And you went further than your parents. Like in our family, you know, we grew up unbelievers. We didn't have all that good positive influence. And so we start out on a 
Handicap. Our daughter grew up with advantages. Your children grew up with advantages. That's great. That's normal. That's the way it should be. As best we can. So, God uses the truth of the Bible for conversion. We read that here where he says, right now is the word by which the gospel is preached to you. He ties it to preaching, not any one-to-one or tightly corresponding there. As we know, you can read the word of God and be convicted and, and repent and convert. Right? It's not always through preaching, but it's especially through preaching. The incorruptible word, we have the corruptible, not born again, not from or the origins of something that is corruptible, that is fading away, that is morally suspect, but incorruptible. What? The word of God, which lives and abides forever. The incorruptible word is by which we are born again, brothers and sisters, the truth of God's word. And he quotes Isaiah 40 verses 6 through 8, as proof of the incorruptibility of the Word of God that is beyond corruption. It can never be watered down. It can never be destroyed. It can never be uh, chewed up with lies. Corrupted. All flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away, but the Word of the Lord endures forever. It is pure. Is another way of describing. Not just... It's stronger, of course, than purity. It's always going to be pure, because incorruptible means it cannot be corrupted. It will always be, on the flip side, pure. Morally upright and perfect and abides and lives forever. The living word that lives and abides forever. Now, what word is this? It's not just the verbal word only, the word of God, the word through the mouth of the prophet or the apostles, who are also prophets, as you recall. But even the written word of God, and Peter talks about that a little later, right? You know, one of the famous passages on, that we use to defend the inerrancy of the word of God is in Peter, right? The other one's in Timothy. God has taken his oral word and given it to people to write down so that we have it written. A more sure foundation, brothers and sisters, than prophets is having a written word. It's like set in stone, isn't it? The word of God given to us here in the Bible is incorruptible. It's without error. And that's important for us to learn about God. The living word, so incorruptible, is, is it's, cannot be corrupted. It stays eternally pure. The living word is it's everlasting and does not change. It goes on and on forever and ever. And that's a good thing. The word of God as the law of God, as the gospel, or whatever form it takes, never changes brothers and sisters. Our God never changes, so his word never changes. When he gives his word of the gospel of good news, that those who repent and believe in Jesus shall be saved, he means it. He's not going to change his mind the next day. The pagan gods changed their minds. They were fickle. They were capricious. They had a bad hair day. Well, I guess they reneged on the promise, but that's okay because they're stronger than you and they can get away with it. That's how the Greek gods and the Roman gods were the pagan gods. Of all stripes, types, and seasons. But our God gives his word, and it's everlasting. It's a living word that abides forever. He's being emphatic here. It will not change. It will not fade away. Its power and its might will be from everlasting unto everlasting. And that is, as I said, the word as the law, and the word as the gospel. The law, of course, is the commands of his followers. And Jesus sums it up nicely. If you love me, keep my commandments. Not keep my suggestions. And the gospel, of course, which I believe to be the focus of this text, is the good news that Jesus kept the commandments in our stead. (laughs) Took the punishment for us breaking the commandments. 
in our stead. That's the good news. And both the law and the gospel are everlasting forever and ever. Both of them are from God himself, who is the source of that which is incorruptible, his word. And his word lasts forever as he lasts forever and sustains you and sustains your soul forever and ever. That's the good news. You have been born again by the word of God. The word of God, that is the truth of the word of God applied to you by the Spirit. But it's the word of God must accompany that regeneration. Somehow, some way. Truth of his word, not a lie. You're not born again through a lie, is a nice way of putting it, right? And that word, if it's the source of you being born again, you should not be afraid of losing your newfound regeneration and new birth. Because if it's incorruptible, you being born again is incorruptible. See that? Go together. It's good news. It's encouraging news. Because you do fight against sin, and you feel sin, and you feel the tug of sin. You feel hopeless at times, but God says, no, I have birthed you, and you will fight sin. You will not give up, because I will not give up on you. The preached word to you, verse 25. 25b. Now this is the word, the incorruptible word, the word that comes from God himself, word of God, which by the gospel was preached to you. So being born again is tied to the word of God, which itself is tied to what? Preaching. Being born again is tied to preaching. Again, not in a mechanical way that every time I preach, someone's born again. But if it's going to happen, that's how God ordinarily does it. He's pleased to use preaching. Word of God and preaching, as he puts them together here, and we've seen them elsewhere in the Bible. <laughs> book, book of Acts, entire book of Acts is a story of people being born again, mass conversion, through preaching. One chapter after another, it seems like, especially in the early parts. One preacher after another, preaching, Peter preaches, Paul preaches, even Apollos preaches. Barnes preaches. And people are listening and people are being convicted because the Spirit accompanies the preaching as he wills and he brings new life. Having been born again to the incorruptible word which was preached to you. That's why we take preaching so seriously. Speaking, teaching, and preaching to whoever will listen. The Spirit is pleased to use this means to bring truth to his people. He could have used Greek theater. They had theater back then. That was their television. That was their drama, but he didn't. He used other means, but he didn't. He used the heralding action of a pastor and preacher, the preaching of the good news of the gospel. And the word here, now this is the word by which the gospel was preached to you. Preached to you. What is that word preached to you? You know, you're going to know the word. <laughs> you're going to know the word because you remember the word for good news, right? Evangel. So we have evangelism. That's the verb. That was evangelized to you. The good news that was evangelized to you. This is the word by which the gospel was evangelized to you. Because <laughs> that means to declare or announce good news. So I am done doing as I am doing to you today, as I am doing right now. <clears throat> and it's the calling of the church in general, of course. You can give the good news to people. They ask, tell them. But it's especially the calling of the pastor to give the good news as a herald. Preachers aren't explicitly mentioned here. However, the word is often used with uh, pastors and apostles in the New Testament. 
And the idea of an evangelist or a one who evangelizes or preaches or declares the good news is he is sent officially by the powers that be. Of course, that's God in particular. The good news, like a king sending a herald to the people. Right? A herald to the people. So we see then, last verse, the importance of the word of God being preached, being taught, being proclaimed. Since the Spirit uses the word, and he uses preaching together, we should be careful who we choose for preaching, and what message they bear to the world, and what message the church will be putting up in preaching. Not just anything that's entertaining, but the truth of God. It's important, brothers and sisters, the pressure is even stronger upon the churches, and on Reformed churches too. We're not perfect. Water down the truth to make it more palatable. We should not and shall not water it down. They need to hear the whole counsel of God, as Paul says in Acts 20. I withheld not from you the whole counsel of God, he tells the church at Ephesus. Point he wanted to make. And that's what we're called as pastors and churches. And you, members of the church, that's what you should expect of your leaders and your pastors in particular and your evangelists, where your monies are going towards. Are they going to preach it or not? Do they believe it's the power of God unto salvation? We do. And thus we preach so that people may hear the word and thereby we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit be born again. Pray that God would preserve the truth and preserve faithful preachers to preach the truth, the word of God, and that through that preaching many will have access and be born again, not of the incorruptible, not of the corruptible, but the incorruptible word of God given to us for a new birth. Let us pray. We thank you, God, for these words, for Peter's exhortation, for Peter's reminder. He just almost says in passing, because the main idea here is to love one another. We can love one another, Lord, because we have been born again. We've been born again, Lord, not through decisional regeneration, not through half-truths, Lord, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, the incorruptible word of God which was preached to us and continued to be preached to us, we pray. Amen. Now the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon you all. Amen.